This week on Business Brief, we'll take a look at how refugee communities navigate the challenges of transportation in a new home, and what that means to economic opportunity. Then we'll hear about the rise of cryptocurrency ATMs in Missouri and some of the issues they present. Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alert's podcast focused on the business news and issues shaping the state. My name is Siggy Reese, and I'm super excited to be back here on the Business Brief podcast after spending the summer reporting in Washington, D.C. I'm also joined by my co-host, Chelsea Peter. Chelsea, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Siggy. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited, too. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. So, hi, everyone. My name is Chelsea. I'm currently a senior at Mizzou working here at um, MBA doing social media and podcasting, of course. And then I'm also a broadcast reporter for KMU. Awesome. Well, we're super excited to have you and just super excited to be back in the swing of things with podcasting. So, do you want to take it away and uh, give us this week's uh, headlines? Yes, let's do it. The Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services recently selected 48 cannabis microbusiness applicants to receive licenses. This is the first round of selections the state will make. The department selected applicants through a lottery drawing and notified selected applicants on Sunday. The program aims to reach businesses owned by members of historically disadvantaged communities. Over 1,600 businesses applied in the first round. The state will give out licenses to 96 more microbusinesses over the next two years. Clayton-based health insurer Centene announced it is selling Circle Health, an operator of hospitals across the United Kingdom. Centene, Missouri's largest publicly traded company, has sold off seven companies in the past 20 months. Centene CEO Sarah London said the divestment of Circle Health is a continuation of the company's strategy to refocus its portfolio on key lines of business. A raft of new state laws took effect this week, including several of high significance to Missouri businesses. One bill signed into law will no longer require St. Louis municipal employees to be residents of the city. Another bill signed into law will free state property taxes at the current amount for older homeowners. It will apply to residents who are 62 years of age or older, eligible for Social Security retirement benefits, and are required to pay property taxes on a home they own. Under another new law, car dealerships can now collect sales taxes for vehicles at the point of sale. Six Missouri infrastructure projects will receive a combined $70 million in federal funding for improving water utilities and making electric grids more dependable. Three of the projects are focused on improving the quality of electric grids in the state. This funding is part of the Biden administration's push to strengthen rural infrastructure, as well as boost the economy and create jobs. The United Auto Workers Union voted in favor of authorizing a strike as the auto industry's largest labor union continues negotiations with major car makers. 97% of union members at General Motors, Ford Motor, and Stellantis voted in favor of authorization. If the strike is authorized, workers in Missouri will be impacted as Ford has a plant near Kansas City and General Motors has plants in the Kansas City and St. Louis areas. Organizers of Columbia's Treeline Music Festival announced Thursday they are canceling the 2023 festival. They cited higher-than-anticipated expenses as the reason for canceling the event, which was formerly known as the Roots and Blues Festival. The festival was originally supposed to be held from September 29th to October 1st. The lineup included artists such as Muna, Salt and Peppa, Ethel Kane, Noah Cyrus, and Japanese Breakfast.
Our first story this week is about a small piece of plastic that can make a big difference in a person's ability to get and keep a job. And what would that be? That would be a driver's license. Ah, right. Having a license in car helps people get to work, get to school, get everywhere. Yeah, it's a big deal. And when refugees arrive in the United States, lack of transportation can be a barrier to economic opportunity. But some refugees in Kansas City are working to solve that problem. Missouri Business Alert reporter Noah Zahn has that story. Amori Justin is navigating a silver Ford Fusion along the winding roads of Kessler Park in northeast Kansas City. It's an unbearably hot day out, and the AC is turned on full blast. Justin Bilambele sits in the passenger seat. He's serving as Amori's teacher. On his wrist, he wears a beaded bracelet with the flag of the Democratic Republic of Congo. He's lived in Kansas City for almost 12 years now. Justin's family fled the DRC in 1998 when a devastating war broke out across the country. So most people like him, me, other people were in the same age as me, they were not born in Congo, they were born either uh, in the war, in the journey. For me, I was born in, in Tanzania. Amori is a Congolese refugee as well, but spent most of his life in Malawi. He moved to Kansas City a year ago with his family. Relocating to the U.S. means you'll need to learn new laws, new cultures, new languages, and you'll probably need to drive a car. So, like, where we come from, right, you don't need a car. But here, it's very, it, you need a car everywhere, for job, for work, to go to the store, to do anything, literally. Some arrive knowing how, but many don't. So the stuff that you and I, we take it for granted, that we, we everyday affair, that we don't think about it, they need help especially in the, in the transition period. That's Sam Nema, who is lovingly known as Uncle Yasser in the Syrian community. He's a board member for Jewish Vocational Services, one of the largest resettlement agencies in the Kansas City area. Sam helps lots of refugees find their first car. He's also taught quite a few of them to drive, even when it gets a little risky. And I took him on the highway, and my goodness, uh, before long we had a, a state trooper pull us over. Somebody reported there's a drunk driver down the highway. Other cities in the Midwest, like St. Louis and Omaha, have formal programs run by local nonprofits to help refugees get behind the wheel. But there's nothing like that in Kansas City. And that's where Justin comes in. He's been stepping up to teach members of the Congolese community, like Amori and his brothers. Justin always takes his driving students to Kessler Park to practice in a less crowded area before getting on the road. That's the hardest part, that turn there. Amori has driven this loop many times and stays calm and confident. But Justin still has to remind him to slow down sometimes, using a mix of Swahili and English. When I say pole pole, I'm literally referring to go slow. While the written portion of the driving test can be translated, the hands-on portion is only offered in English. And if you can't understand the examiner's instructions, it's almost impossible to pass. When Justin got to Kansas City in 2012 with his parents and six siblings, they didn't have an established Congolese community like there is now. For me, when I was learning how to drive, I literally just took my dad's car and then drove it when he wasn't there. Justin says that unlicensed driving is widespread because people still need to get around. In Kansas City, which is spread out and has few options for public transit, that puts many refugees in a tough spot. You need to drive, but you can't pass the test. Yeah. So what are you going to do? And Stay at home? Yeah. You're going to get kicked out. Unlicensed driving is a crime for anyone but it's even riskier for refugees. To skip over it, God forbid, what if you have a car accident? What if you hit somebody and that's a felony now? You, you lost your pathway to citizenship. And it's those stakes, more than anything, 
that Justin and Amori say keeps people from trying. But Justin doesn't want people to be afraid. In some sense, I kind of feel like an obligation to like teach the people who come and just so we know, like, okay, you don't have to go through the same issue that I had to go through. Amori recently graduated from East High School. After practicing with Justin through the summer, he finally passed his driver's test on his third try. Yeah, I just, I just finished my classes and then I'm now in the car. Oh, yeah? Yeah, this is my first week. Yeah, All right, so you're, you're driving yourself there now? Yeah. Amori now drives himself the 17-minute commute to Donnelly College in Kansas City, Kansas, where he attends on a full-ride scholarship. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Noah Zahn. For our next story, MBA reporter Dan Micah joins us to talk about his reporting on the rise of cryptocurrency ATMs in Kansas City this summer. Dan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So uh, my first question here is, what is a cryptocurrency ATM and why would someone want to use one? So a cryptocurrency ATM, they look like regular ATMs. You can walk up to them in a store. Um, They're most usually placed in gas stations or smoke shops or convenience stores. You can put money in and you can establish a cryptocurrency wallet. Um, Or if you have one already, you can convert that cash into cryptocurrency. It's supposedly a way for you to avoid having to use a bank uh, or if you don't have a bank account for you to be able to access cryptocurrency directly without having that intermediary of a bank into a uh, an operator like Coinbase. And so you took a look at the locations of these ATMs in Kansas City alongside census data. And what did you find? So. The overwhelming pattern that I found when you map the locations of uh, listed cryptocurrency ATMs in Kansas City against census data is that they're most likely placed uh, in neighborhoods of color, so uh, with higher uh, numbers of black and Latino residents, and overwhelmingly in areas with lower median household incomes, aka poorer areas. These are factors that play into people being uh, quote-unquote unbanked, as the FDIC puts it, meaning that they are they don't have bank accounts and they are less likely to have access to traditional financial services like uh, like banks and uh, and tend to rely on alternatives like cryptocurrency ATMs potentially, but also things like payday lenders. How do these machines differ from using a regular ATM or buying and selling crypto from an online broker? Uh, based on our data, only one in five crypto ATMs allow you to withdraw cash uh, in order to sell your crypto and withdraw cash. Uh, so the vast majority of them only take cash in. I would also say that they have a pretty non-transparent way of of how they charge their fees. One ATM that I went to in Northeast Kansas City, uh, instead of saying specifically what their fee was, they quoted me a price before I started the transaction of about $45,000 to buy uh, to buy Bitcoin. And the actual trading price was $30,000 or a difference of or of 40% effectively. So uh, the, that fee, that machine was charging a fee, a transaction fee of 40% of the $20 that I put into it. On average, the machines around Kansas City will charge you about 16% per transaction. Um, these are really, really steep fees compared to uh, the anywhere between 0.06% that you would get on Coinbase or the 1% you would be charged on SoFi. Obviously, there's a big difference between um, using ATMs and um, using, you know, like a more person-to-person level of um, like trading. Um, why do you think the um, the fees are so different uh, at the ATMs? Uh, so I did 
get a hold of one cryptocurrency ATM company. Uh, Michael D'Alessandro De- is the CEO of RocketCoin, which has uh, several ATMs around the city. And I asked him, you know, why is the fee so high uh, compared to op- operators like SoFi or like Coinbase or just completely online exchanges? One of the big things that, that struck me in this in, in my uh, my exchange with him is that he essentially called himself uh, called crypto ATMs like a mom and pop convenience store, essentially saying that he's a, a small business uh, compared to large established exchanges. Um, but the fact that it remains is that the majority of these ATMs are being placed in areas where residents are more likely to be lower income. They're more likely to be part of those communities that are more likely to not have a bank account or not have access to a bank branch nearby. So uh, to me, it seems that there is a pattern uh, of trying to take um, advantage of that, of of trying to promote crypto as this alternative investment to people who who have historically not had equitable access to the financial system, but at extraordinary fees. And you spoke with financial stability experts about the machines. Um, what did they say their concerns were? Yeah, so I spoke with Jocelyn Evans. Uh, she is a PhD in finance uh, and is the chair of finance at UKC's uh, financial school. And she initially was just, uh, she had this great story of she was going to talk to students um, in the Northwest Kansas City High School about financial literacy, and she popped into a gas station to buy gas and she didn't even know what these machines were or how they worked and she's a phd in finance she teaches these classes to um to at the college level so she was very concerned that you know if she couldn't figure it out and if you know as someone who's extremely educated about how finance works how could uh how could anyone else figure this out especially when they're being placed in areas where there's a lack of traditional finance. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today, Dan. Thank you. It is now time for us to get into our words of the week. Chelsea, what do you have for us this week? My words are low inventory. Okay, and what exactly has low inventory? That would be the Missouri housing market. New data from Missouri Realtors shows housing supply has continued to stay below the goal of six months of inventory. Yikes. So how has this impacted those looking to purchase a home? Well, it looks like the lack of inventory has led to more competition between buyers and increased upward pressure on home prices. Buyers are also willing to spend more on a home than they have in the past two years. Interesting. And how is this low inventory affecting sales as a whole? Well, both low inventory and elevated mortgage rates have likely contributed to a decrease in home sales. Data from July showed a 16% drop from a year ago and a 27% drop from two years ago, meaning the housing demand that initially came from the pandemic has likely cooled off. That's all I've got this week. What's your word, Siki? My word is heat wave. We definitely had one of those last week here in Missouri. What about heat waves are you talking about this week? So I'm referring to the ways that extreme heat is impacting farmers. Many farmers struggle with heat-related illness, and farmers are 35 times more likely to die of heat exposure than workers in other sectors, according to the National Institutes of Health. Wow, that's really scary. Yeah, it is, and the data available likely doesn't scratch the surface. 
Health experts say the data on heat-related fatalities in farmers is likely underreported and is a much bigger issue. But why are these deaths being underreported? So a director at United Farm Workers says many of the deaths are classified as heart attacks rather than heat strokes. It'll be definitely interesting to see if the data on this changes as heat waves become more of an issue over time. Definitely. For a closing thought, here's Sam Nemeth from Northeast Kansas City again discussing what drives him to work helping resettle refugees. I always tell people that it's better to have a running stream than dry river. So every one of us is capable of doing something good. Be consistent. Don't give up. And uh, you're doing it because that's the right thing to do. Well, that is all for this week. Thank you to the M33 Project for providing music for this episode. From my co-host, Chelsea Peter, editors Yasha Mikowichuk, Skylar Rossi, and Michael Stacy. I'm Siggy Reese, and this has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.